Hi everyone, this is Caleb and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner Podcast. And today I am honored to be joined by returning guest Seth Godin to talk with him about his brand new book, The Song of Significance, which is out now. And the subtitle is A New Manifesto for Teams. Now, if you've been listening for a while, as I just mentioned, uh, Seth has been on the podcast before and we'll link to that episode as well. But I am just very much looking forward to this conversation. Seth is somebody that I've uh, I've just learned a ton from over the past, you know, 10 years or pro over 10 years now. And one of his biggest ideas that he talks about, and we talk about it very briefly in here, is the idea of shipping it. And that's just simply the idea of just putting it out there, of doing it, of of putting your work out there no matter what the quality is because it's through those repetitions it's through shipping it that you continue to get better now if you enjoy this episode i would highly recommend that you subscribe to my Substack, to where i just post about all the different things that i am currently learning from from books to movies to comics to basically anything that is just capturing my attention there is no limit to what that could potentially be but i'm just giving uh, my, I guess my my best recommended list of some of the things that I am currently learning from, and you can find all of that information in the show notes. Now, one of the things that is talk that we talk a lot about here on the on the podcast is being is being the person who was there for you, or being there for the people that you care and matter most to, and that's a lot of what this conversation is about. And it, and it does pertain to, you know, a lot of it pertains to the work context, but so much of it is more, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. So let me tell you a little bit about Seth, and then we're going to go right into the conversation. So Seth Godin is the author of 21 international bestsellers that have changed the way people think about work. His books have been translated into 38 languages, and he writes one of the most popular marketing blogs in the world, and two of his TED Talks are among the most popular of all time. He is the founder of Alt-MBA, the social media pioneer Squidoo, and Yo-Yo Din, one of the first internet companies. And uh, we also talk about one of the projects that he has most recently done called the Carbon Almanac as well. And so without any further wait, here is my conversation with Seth Godin. Well, Seth, it is so good to have you back on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. You're in the multiple 300s now. You just keep rolling along. It's generous, <laughs> important work. So thank you for doing it. Yeah, you're welcome. And I appreciate the kind words. Uh, you know, you've you've written this book, The Song of Significance, and like so much of your other work that you do, it is about work. And so I thought that, you know, one place that might be fun to start is I'd just love to ask you, what is going wrong with work right now? People talk about work-life balance. There's no such thing. There's just life. And if you want to spend part of your life at work, that's something you have to do or want to do. But it's still life. My book is about life. And industrialism, which made us all rich, which started back in the days of, uh, you know, uh, Calvin and Henry Ford and Frederick Taylor and systems of trying to extract from machines 
as much value as possible, created all the stuff in our lives. In 1910, the average person in the United States had two pairs of shoes and two pairs of pants. That's all they owned. And I think they had other clothes too, but I just know about the pants and the shoes. And the thing is, then we invented human resources. And we said, how do we get as much as we can out of people? How do we measure them with a stopwatch, make them cogs in the system? And then we built school, the indoctrination of organizations, spiritual and civic, to push people to obey, to create a dynamic where you're supposed to ask, will this be on the test? Will they tell me what to do? What will I get after I do it? That's all new. That's not the human condition. It's what industrialists want us to do. They want to be in the front of the room telling us what to do. And we feel like it's safer to do as little as possible and then go home and watch TV. And we've put up with this for a very long time, but now we've poisoned the planet and wasted an enormous amount of our lives doing work that isn't that valuable and that doesn't light us up. And so what the Song of Significance is about is meaning. Viktor Frankl's idea that the search for meaning, the attempt to do work that matters with people who care, that's what we were born to do. And I'm amazed I needed to write this down, but I did. <laughs> yeah. Is there, or are there like any bright spots or things that you would go, you know what, there is, there's a ton of work to do, but there might be like a bright spot or something to where you go, you know what? We, we are getting this right in terms of work. And, there, and the answer may be, no, we're getting everything wrong. But I, I'd just love to ask the inverse of that. Oh, oh there's so many bright spots. Let's start with, yeah. with, with, let's start with you and this podcast. This job is impossible. Yeah. This didn't exist 30 <laughs> years ago. That there yeah. are more people around the world who are making a living, working for people they want to work for, doing work that they are proud of than ever before. The... Uh, ability that humans have to solve interesting problems. There's new batteries coming from NASA. They're 10 times better than any battery that's in a car right now. There are people who are having a conversation long overdue, hundreds of years overdue, about caste and about um, social oppression. And there are people who are having a 40-year-old overdue conversation about climate. All of these things are happening big time. There is hope all around us. What motivated me to actually say, I got to do this, is when people start cheering on billionaires who are brutalizing their employees, firing them in front of other people, and saying, just because I have power, I get to demand that you applaud me. That what motivated me to do this is we're confused that we think people who like us on Facebook like us. And we think that um, the people who are, say, are our friends online are our friends. This is a pale imitation for what we are capable of. But when someone like you shows up and says, I don't have permission. I don't have a license. I'm just going to show up 300 times in a row and have a conversation with people because I can. That fills me with hope. Mm, yeah. You know, I think one of the things as I was going through the book that stood out to me is like you, and, and this was all research-based and you could talk about it too, but the characteristics of like what people find in their best job as well as their most fulfilling job. Would you mind kind of like, talk, first of all, talk about like all the research that went into it and what the characteristics are that people find like, yeah, this is the best job that I've ever had. So when I say it out loud, it just seems so obvious, but I have to say it because it's not just you, it's everybody. So I surveyed 10,000 people in 90 countries and I said, here are 14 things you might get from work. They pay you a lot, 
have to travel. No one tells you what to do. Here's a whole bunch of things. Tell me what elements of these things were in the best job you ever had. And no matter what country people were in, the answers were the same over and over again. No one picked. They paid me a lot. What people picked was, I accomplished more than I thought I could. People treated me with respect. Well, mm -hmm. that's meaning. The reason it was a great job is because you found a sense of purpose, of meaning, of significance. And that's the cornerstone for what we should be building because we only get tomorrow one time. You don't get to do it over again. Mm -hmm. That even makes me think of like another thing. And I, and I guess it's, you know, related to what we were talking about too, but you talk so much about agency and dignity, which are the, the components of those. Can you kind of maybe start with agency and then move on to dignity and talk about like, what are some of the examples that you've seen of people that just like expires you or gives you hope or just gets you excited of how people are giving those things to the people that they work with and work for? So over the years, we've come to be taught lectured that choice agency only belongs <clears throat> to people with fancy jobs and fancy titles. Everybody else has got a stopwatch measuring them, keystrokes measured, your calls being monitored. You know, Amazon just launched a new service that lets the company monitor every single call that its agents are making in real time and jump in and scold the operator using AI. That's not agency. Agency is you make choices and you're responsible for them. It doesn't matter if you're a barista or a lawyer. The choice and the willingness to own your choices gives us meaning. And dignity, dignity is fascinating because dignity is hard to claim for yourself, but it's easy to give to someone else. That when we look someone else in the eye and we honor them as a human, regardless of their income or their appearance, when we see the other, we are giving them something priceless, which is dignity. But if you apply for a job using an ATM-like interface and they hire every person who's breathing, and then you get there and they give you a manual of steps to follow, and then they fire you days later, you've stripped away agency and dignity all at once. And we can do better than that. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something that you, that you said is, you know, dignity can be hard to give towards yourself. What... Like, first of all, I'd love to just ask, you know, what do you think is behind that? And how can we go about giving ourselves more dignity or the dignity, dignity um, that we deserve? Yeah, it's a it's a tricky um, challenge. I think uh, there's a difference between looking at someone else and looking at yourself in the mirror, even though your photons that are hitting your eyeballs are very similar. There's a difference. It's very hard to tickle yourself. Dignity, as I'm talking about it, is something that we can demand from others. And if you are working in a place or in a family setting where you're not getting dignity, you should fix it. But dignity for an individual essentially is about our connection to another individual. And people have been working at tearing down the dignity of others, when in fact, our calling is to offer others dignity. So... An example I'll give you, I was working uh, in Kenya with a, a nonprofit called Jehudi Kalimo. And what Jehudi Kalimo does is they loan you enough money to buy a cow. Now, I'm no fan of cows. That's a whole other story. But they loan you enough money to buy a cow. And then just milking that cow 
earns you enough money to pay off the cow in a year. And at the end of the year, you now own a cow free and clear. The upside of this is it can transform a family's income. But what is truly magic about Judy Kalimo, first of all, the repayment rate is over 97%. There are almost no people defaulting on the loan. And the reason is you are recommended for a loan by your neighbors. And the people who go around and collect your payment don't do it by banging on the door. They do it by showing up as a welcome friend and neighbor. And if you get into a jam, they help you out. The dignity that I saw in those villages that Jehudi Kalimo enabled was extraordinary. The opposite of what a big fancy bank does. And this system that we are capable of creating makes things better. And so, yes, we must claim our dignity, but it doesn't get delivered until another human being is willing to dance with us. You know, I want to go back to something that you said earlier and you said like you you were a little bit surprised of like, why do I need to write this book? This stuff is so obvious. It's common sense. Why do you think that is the case that like it is it is common sense, but yet we do not do it like bosses, leaders, all of that. What do you think is behind that? Well, fish don't know they're wet and you can spend your whole day explaining to a fish that it's wet. It just doesn't get it because it's been wet its whole life. You've been indoctrinated from a very young age. And I'm amazed at the notes I'll get from my readers when they can't even see how deeply, you know, when I was coming up 60 years ago, school sports were about activity and connection and possibility. And over the 30 to 50 years, they became about how many trophies can we acquire? What are the chances you're going to make the major leagues? It's become a farm team. And even though people were alive for that whole transition, now they think it's normal. They think that that's what soccer is for, for nine-year-olds. Win more games, score more goals. I was a soccer coach when my kid was six, and they kicked me out of the league because I was pushing kids to learn something, to pass the ball, to play with good sportsmanship. But because we lost every game, they kicked me out as a coach. And I'm astonished by this still to this day, all these years later, because what is six-year-old soccer for exactly? And what we need to do is realize the indoctrination is all around us. It's around us with the fancy sticker you have on your car. It's for what college your kid went to. It's about what kind of car are you driving, right? Like, why does it matter that you're driving a fancy car? What does that say? Well, what it says is, the industrialists persuaded you to spend the extra money for a fancy car because of the story that goes with it. So what I'm trying to say to people is the same way it's now obvious to us that cigarettes kills people, it needs to be obvious to us that our job is not to do our job. Our job is to build a life. Yeah, talk to me. And I and I think you mentioned in the book too of just like this re-education process that we all have to go through. So talk to me one about what that can look like in ourselves personally and then even you know you alluded to it with as well pass like almost like re-educating our kids or our future kids as well yeah I, i'm not sure i want to go with the word re-educating um that's pretty okay. Orwe- orwellian and stalin yeah based um <laughs> yeah education is a system of power that transfers information to people who have no choice learning is what we do for ourselves 
Now, a good education system creates the conditions for people to learn, but we need to relearn what works, right? That if you talk to someone who's been a lawyer or a dentist for 20 or 30 years and say, do you have any regrets about your profession? They will probably tell you they worked too many hours and their dream for when they started didn't seem to pan out because it was this high status, high paying job that turned into grunt work with not that many decisions, respect, dignity, or connection. But if you talk to somebody who's been a volunteer scout leader for 30 or 40 years, and you ask them if they have regrets, it's unlikely that they do. Because even though that's not a job where you get paid, it's an avocation. It is a chance to lead, to connect, to be part of something, to change people for the better. You have significance. And now that we have AI, now that outsourcing is really hitting its stride, my argument is if you are not finding significance at work, you are not looking hard enough. Yeah. I want to go back to what you mentioned of just building a life, which I love so much. And I feel like even for myself, that's something that I've probably really, um, probably in the last year and a half to two years have really started thinking of like really taking like proactive steps into like building the life that I want. And like the way that I say is like, I want to build a life that I don't feel like I have to escape from. Mm -hmm. And so I would just love to ask like that, that can sometimes be a very daunting thing because you are kind of going against the norm in that. And how do you like, even I would even love to hear like in your, your process as well, what did that look like for you? How did you start even figuring out like, okay, this is the life that I want and what steps do I need to take to get that life? So if you want to run a marathon, you don't go to a coach and say, can you teach me how to run a marathon without getting tired? It is understood that the only way to run a marathon well is to be tired. That discomfort is part of the point. If you want to build a life of significance, you can't be comfortable all the time. The discomfort is going to come with it. The discomfort of saying my resume isn't like everybody else's resume. I'm going to the placement office. I'm not going to work the same way everybody else works. I'm not going to work at a famous company because those come with comfort. And so, yeah, 10,000 people lost their job at Google and 25, 60,000 people lost their job at Facebook, whatever it is. But they took a comfortable job. They signed up for the easy, famous company with the stock options and the structure and the free lunch and everything else because it was comfortable. And then they said, Mark, tell me what to do. And when Mark was done with them, he threw them out. And the skill in that room, the passion in that room was high. And I think people make a mistake equating comfort with significance. What I am looking for, what I've spent my entire career looking for, is where is an uncomfortable place where I can make a difference? Hmm. Uh, can you uh, just give an example of what that's led to you to do? Well, um, I got offered a job. I had a job at Yahoo as one of five vice presidents. But they just wanted the, the memo from my cool it our stock is going up just sit there don't do anything like i only get this year once i'm not going to spend 1999 sitting here doing nothing but collecting stock options and when permission marketing became a bestseller my publisher said we'll pay you twice as much to write the permission marketing handbook but i said i already wrote permission marketing i don't want to write a sequel and be 
the person who churns these things out. What's the thing I can do that might not work, that's important enough to do? That there are constantly forks in the road where we get to make a choice that isn't guaranteed versus one that pretends to be guaranteed. Hmm. Yeah, the other thing, and uh, you know, you could talk about that uh, this as much as you want to, but I think about, um, I can't remember what exactly your your most recent project is with um, with cli- I think it's climate change, and then it was, also it was called the Carbon yeah. Almanac. Yeah, yeah, the Carbon. Yep, thank you for that. But even like, I'd love, I'd because like I could just imagine for you, like it probably would, it might have been easier just to decide I'm not going to do this. Like everything would have been how- easier. I could have mowed the lawn. It would have been everything would have been easier than doing the carbon almond. So I, I volunteered. I didn't get paid. I worked 10 hours a day for over a year working with 300 volunteers in 40 countries. And I was the founding editor, not the writer. And that meant leaving space for others. It meant giving other people the steering wheel. It meant, creating an institution that exists to this day with 1900 people in it to build something bigger than me fighting to keep my name smaller on the cover or off it altogether. But I failed at that coming up with a way to bring this project with all these other people to dozens of countries around the world, a bestseller in Dutch, a bestseller in Italian, a bestseller. Yes. In Chinese and Korean and Japanese, all because it was worth it. It was worth it to share this uh, information. But more than that, for me, it was worth it to dance as a peer with all these other people, not to tell anybody what to do, but to shine a light, to create page 19 thinking, to show up and say, we can make this, let's do this together. And I wouldn't trade it for anything, anything. Mm. I learned more from doing this, benefited more from doing this, than any book I think I've ever written. And that's what I, that's like what I, I love that so much just because like that is the life that you wanted to live. And so you went, I'm going to figure out a way to do this regardless of whether or not I get paid for it. I just love it. And I want it to be a part of my life. Exactly. And a key part of it was not getting paid for it. that. I yeah. could have gotten paid for it, but if I had done that, the power dynamic would have totally shifted. It would have been Seth and 20 assistants, not 300 volunteers working together. And we, in our economy, equate money with wisdom and money with success and money with significance, but that's made up. They're not related. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to touch on the... I mean, the song or the book is called The Song of Significance, but that's not the only song that you talk about in there. You talk about the song of um, of increase and the song of safety, as well as the song of significance. And so maybe you can start with teasing out what the song of increase sure. is, safety, and then go to you know, right. the song of significance. Well, the title came from a book by Jacqueline Freeman. And in it, she narrates what happens when a feral beehive at the end of a long winter, makes a leap. And what will happen, the short version, is the Council of Maidens will figure out they barely made it through the winter. There's a little bit of honey left. They'll get the queen to lay a new queen egg, which is rare indeed. And then when the weather is right, 12,000 bees in a 10-minute period of time 
will all leave the hive forever. They will leave behind all the other bees, the baby bee, the baby queen, all the honey. They'll just leave in this swarm called the Song of Increase. And it is thrilling to see and hear. You can look it up on YouTube. And then they have three days to find a new place to live. And during those three days, they're singing the song of safety. They're in a tight little ball, hunkering down, hoping to survive these three days. And then they leap one more time into a new hive. And we're not bees, but we can learn a lot from the bees because they are organized without an organizer, led without a leader. They do their work in a way that benefits the hive. And the thing about honey, honey isn't the point of the hive. The hive doesn't exist to create as much honey as possible. The hive is a byproduct of a healthy, the, the, the honey is a byproduct of a healthy hive. And what we have been confused by in our economy is thinking that money is the point. Money is the byproduct of creating value for other people, but it's not the point. Talk about, and we've touched on this a little bit, but talk about the inconvenience that can come with pursuing significance. Right. So we talked about the discomfort, and one version of discomfort in our economy is called inconvenience. And it turns out Americans will trade almost anything for convenience, right? Mm -hmm. We listen to a podcast on Apple Podcasts instead of on Overcast because it's more convenient because it's built in. We give away all of our rights and privacy when we use a social network because it's just more convenient to click the button. We buy things delivered to our house in 15 minutes when we could just go get the saran wrap later, but it's more convenient. And convenience was invented by industrialists to get us to buy more stuff and to help us stay stuck. And um, what we need to, re to realize is the purpose of our life it's not to make everything as convenient as possible and then to die. The purpose of our life is to make a difference, to make an impact, mm. to shine a light, to volunteer, to connect, to make things better. And I'm still amazed I get to talk about this. I'm still amazed I have to talk about this. But we need yeah. to talk about it every day because it's so uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. One of the quotes that you have in the book is from David Orr and I'd love to read the quote and I'd love to just kind of ask what most like what why that resonates so strong because it, it resonates so strong with me I love uh, that he says the planet does not need more successful people but it does desperately need more peacemakers healers restorers storytellers and loves of every it's such a beautiful quote I'd love to just ask what what resonates so strongly with you in that quote? I think it's just the expectation that doctors are better than teachers because doctors get paid 10 times more than teachers. Therefore, they must be better. And, and you know, we have so much class stratification so many false proxies, so many ways we judge people based on something related to how much money they made. I still am amazed, but I know more than eight billionaires and seven of them are straight up nuts. And I wouldn't want any of them to be my neighbor. 
And one of them is a really nice guy who's accidentally a billionaire. But what's fascinating about it is we just give billionaires the benefit of the doubt. We decide that if someone shows up in a private jet, they must be important. They're not important. They just figured out how to acquire some money. That's different. Hmm. Yeah. You know, we've we've talked a lot about um, work and been building our lives as well. And as, as leaders and as bosses and as employers and everything, like it is going to require a change for us in order to, to do things differently. And I'd just love to ask, like, what are some of the, the skills or the things that if we, if we want to instill this sense of dignity and agency in our people, how can we go about doing that? So one of the expressions that I'm totally hung up on in a really good way is from a Manad Kosla in his book with, by the same title, which I'm stealing, which is let's get real or let's not play. What I mean by that is why are we here in this work setting? What is the purpose of this interaction we are having? If you come into the coffee shop and you ask me for a bagel with cream cheese, I'm going to say you're in the wrong store. We don't have bagels. If you come into the coffee shop and ask for a cup of coffee for free, I'm going to tell you you're in the wrong store. We don't give away coffee. The purpose of this transaction is you give me money and I give you coffee. Let's get real or let's not play. Don't talk to me about it. Well, mm -hmm. If we're going to build an organization that's seeking to make a change in the world, if we're going to build an organization that treats people a certain way, that has certain standards, let's get real. Let's be really clear with each other about what this thing is for, who we do it with, why we do it that way. And then we're much more likely to get what we want. It's okay to have turnover. It's okay to have people say, no, thank you. It's okay to have people walk away because we should get real about what this place is for. I'll, I'll tell you a, a story about this. Uh, yeah. 15 years ago, no one knew who David Chang, the restaurateur and TV star is, was. And he had one little restaurant in New York City called Momofuko. And it hadn't been reviewed yet. It was a tiny little place. I live about an hour away. And on Saturdays, we bundle up the family, get in the car and drive all the way in the Prius down to the village in New York City and go to Momofuku for lunch. And the, le the menu only had about 15 things on it. And I'm pretty sure David himself was behind the grill, but I'm not sure. Anyway, they didn't have a lot of non-meat items on the menu. And I've been a vegetarian for more than 30 years. So what I would say is, would you mind making me the Brussels sprouts, but don't add the bacon? Because that way I can eat them and you don't have to waste the bacon. So you come out ahead and so do I. And four weeks in a row, they made me these delicious Brussels sprouts. And the fifth week, the guy on the griddle turned to me and he said, you know what? He said, there's a really good vegetarian restaurant two doors down. We're not a vegetarian restaurant. We like serving meat here. And we like the fact that there's bacon in the Brussels sprouts. So I appreciate your kindness, but you probably should go to a different restaurant instead. That was the day that David Chang became David Chang. Because that was the day he said, this is what my restaurant does. We are not here for everybody. We're here for somebody. Let's get real or let's not play. Mm, that's great. And it's a, it's like, take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And if you can stand uh, behind that, some people are going to take it. 
Yeah. Yep. Are, is there uh, any other things like that that might be helpful for us in that drive? That is a huge one of just being, I mean, and part of it is just being more comfortable with rejection of like, hey, even even for my life of like, hey, this is the life that I want. And if you don't want to deal with it, that's fine. Um, what's something else that might be helpful in uh, building that life or even at the workplace? Well, so the reason to make a book, the reason that I want people to buy a book is so they will have the conversation. I don't have some magic map, but I have a template for a conversation. If you can't talk to your coworkers and your spouse and your boss about this, it's not gonna get better. It's just not. So hand them a book and say, can we talk about this on Monday? Because this is where I'm going. Do you wanna come? Hmm. That having the conversation is how we change the world. Yeah. Another idea that you talk about in there, which really stood out to me, which I want to have you elaborate more on, is you talk about uh, three steps to improvement, do the reading, ship the improvement, and show your work. Can you kind of unpack those a little bit? So think about, I saw an ad for a 1971 Buick Riviera on the internet yesterday. It got 13 miles per gallon. It was the ugliest car I ever saw. It wasn't safe. We have come a long way, right? Mm -hmm. That my little electric car can go zero to 60 in four seconds. It's silent. It's safe. That's pretty cool. How did we get there, right? Well, you get there not by hoarding your processes as a defense mechanism, but first do the reading. See what came before. Understand what the Buick Riviera even was. Understand what's happening in that spiritual institution down the street or in that conversation. If you're a professional, you need to know what came before. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you can't wait for perfect. You can say, I made this and bring it to the world and wait for their feedback, wait for their advice, wait for what worked and which didn't. And then you can show your work. You can show us how did you decide to do things the way you did? Why is it like that? Opening yourself up to the advice you need to get somewhere. If you try to drive somewhere, and you can't feel the steering wheel and its response from the, the tires, you can't drive. If you hit the curb and you feel yourself hitting the curb, you're going to crash into a pedestrian. The curb is not angry at you. The curb is giving you feedback. The road's over here. Go this way. And we need to be open to the advice of making it better. We don't need to hear criticism of who we are, nor do we need to worry about whether someone doesn't like the work because of who they are. So if I tell you, I don't go to Momofuku anymore, that's not saying Momofuku is a bad restaurant for you. It's just telling you, I'm a vegetarian. You learn nothing about Momofuku, you learned about me. So no. you want to be very clear, who's it for? What's it for? And how do you show up for the people you're trying to serve? Uh, two other things I want to ask you about but before that i know that there's so much stuff that we could talk about in the book and i always love just people or giving people the opportunity to just talk about what they want to talk about in the book so is there any idea or anything that you want to make sure that we cover before we wrap up well i would say that you're really good at this so no there's nothing you oh. have missed and i would also say the beauty of having a blog is i can always get a word in edgewise if i want to <laughs> very true um i'd love to ask in terms of this work, what is most challenging to you? 
What's challenging to me in the work I've done for the last 30 years as an author is some things you write about and everyone lights up and applauds and gives you good feedback. And something you write about is important. And it's so tempting to do the first kind all the time. Hmm. And the discipline has to be doing the second kind. Because it turns out that 10 or 20 or 30 years later, you get a note from somebody who read something you wrote that wasn't popular but was important. And they say, now I understand. Thank you. That really made a difference for me. So when I wrote Permission Marketing, I got kicked out of the Direct Marketing Association for five years. They wouldn't let me come to any meetings because it was unpopular. And when I wrote the book Purple Cow, people said it was silly and didn't make any sense. That my goal is to find discomfort in service of wisdom. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm not. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you about in terms of, and you could take this, you know, professional life or personal life or anything like that. But as it pertains, like building your life, you know, you mentioned the carbon almanac. I'd love to hear what are you most excited about, like pursuing or working on right now as it pertains to you building your own life right now? You know, excitement's a weird thing. Uh, the fact that I'm getting close to mastering my four ball juggling seems really trivial. But if it lights you up and opens the door for you to do the next thing that generates value for other people, sign me up. So I don't know if it's going to happen this week or next week, but one day soon when you see me, I'll be able to do a four ball juggle. In the meantime, I'm so lucky that I get to do this work, that I get to talk to a million people every day. And I'm not taking that lightly. The idea is not how do I get more readers? It's how do I help the readers I already have get to where they want to go. Mm, I love that. Well, Seth, I know that people are going to want to pick up or keep up with you and, you know, get the book, The Song of Significance. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things? There's plenty of free videos at seth.blog slash song. So it's S-E-T-H-S dot blog slash song. Awesome. Well, Seth, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And just thank you for doing the work and for sharing it with us. An absolute pleasure. out of that conversation with Seth, one of the ideas that I just so strongly agree with is building building a life or building your life, building the life that you want or pursuing the life that you want. And as I mentioned in the interview, that's something that I've been trying to do for, in some sense I've been doing, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, it's in some sense you go, I think I've kind like all of my life has led me to this moment. And I guess that's that's a dramatic way of saying it, but I would say more actively pursuing it in the last probably two or two and a half years, probably something like that. And part of it comes down to figuring out what you really want and being okay with not being anybody else than that and figuring out what your definition of success is and what really matters to you. And... And then working to build that life, no matter what, no matter who rejects you or no matter who 
accepts you in that because it's the life that you want. And, you know, right now, I feel like I am benefiting a lot from the decisions that I've made in pursuing that. And it has not been easy. In fact, it's been incredibly challenging at many different times all throughout it. But it has been rewarding. And I don't think I would do anything differently than what I've done. And I would just encourage and challenge you to do the same. Think of the life that you want. It is possible. It's not easy. It's not comfortable, as Seth says. It's not always convenient. But it is possible. And it's worth it. So that's some of the stuff that I'm thinking about. If you want to keep up with me and some of the other things that I'm learning about, please subscribe to... Uh, the podcast and you can check out my Substack as well to where I just give a bunch of recommendations of the different things that I'm learning from books and movies and podcasts and you know fiction non-fiction songs the the gamut is just very wide in that so yes those are some of the things that I'm thinking about and again you can check out all that out in the show notes as well so with that i think that's all that i have for today i do want to say thank you to sam massey for creating the music for this podcast thank you again to seth for returning to the podcast and if you enjoyed this please follow him as well or listen uh listen to our previous conversation and with that i think that's all that i have for today oh and thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode my name is caleb mason and until next time keep learning and keep growing